Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. I'm so excited to have Zach Alexander back with us again. Every time that he comes on the podcast, he gives us an incredible insight into the male psyche that perhaps we don't get all too much on this podcast. So I think he is so invaluable with the information that he brings us. You guys always message me like, wow, that was a good episode. Can we hear more from him? So when I saw this news story about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and him saying that he is generally the protector in the relationship, I knew that there was no one better to ask to come and join me on this podcast than Zach. Today, we're going to be using Travis and Taylor as like a little flashlight into the world of the healthy masculine, the toxic masculine, all things aggression, control, possession, and emotional suppression versus emotional regulation. Now, before we jump into this, I'm going to give you a little backstory. So a few weeks ago, Travis Kelsey was helping Taylor Swift get out of an SUV after they made surprise cameos on Saturday Night Live. He was seen placing his hand on a security guard who then stepped aside as Travis helped Taylor get out of the car. The moment prompted like a lot of internet backlash and also positive love. And Travis followed up with his thoughts on the situation. He said, I didn't push him. I placed my hand on the gentleman's back to let him know I was behind him. If I would have pushed him, he probably would have turned around and tasered me. Later on a podcast interview, he also went on to say that he still likes to play a chivalrous role in his relationships. He said, I feel like whenever I'm on a date, I'm always having like the sense of I'm a man in the situation. He said, I'm protective for sure. You always kind of have to have that feeling or that level of self-awareness. And things like self-awareness are so important. And that is basically why this podcast exists. But today we're going to jump into that point around being protective, when it's healthy and when it veers into being unhealthy. My first question, do you think it's fair to say that men are wired to protect and provide, or is that kind of like an outdated statement? From a base level biological standpoint, I agree with that statement. But then I think what we're doing is we're trying to really delineate what that word protection means. 
Because I think amongst men within modernized Western society, we confuse possession, control, aggression with protection. And I think those things are very different and it's very important to decipher why they're different and why some men lean towards the latter versus the former. That is fascinating. I feel like you've already dropped a truth bomb with that possession, control and aggression versus protection. So let's get into that. What would you say is or are elements of healthy protection? Healthy elements of protection for me are generally looking out for the safety and well-being of your partner, making sure they're not at risk for violence, making sure that they themselves feel safe. Women in today's society oftentimes do not feel safe. They have to armor and anchor up to feel like they are safe. They can't be in this receptive present moment awareness. And that's not fair to them. So when a man is being protective, he's providing a structure, a grounding, and he's letting her know, I have this area here, right? And within that, a woman can feel the the ability to fall back. And that's important. He's not putting her at risk of violence. He's not putting her at risk of danger. In fact, he's creating structure to let her know this is an area where you can feel safe and protected with them. I love that word safety. And I think it's something that I never experienced in my relationships in my 20s. I would never have asked myself, is this a safe person? Is this a safe relationship emotionally and physically? And I've been in some very unsafe relationships. Do you think that in this context of protection and safety, that the healthy masculine should want to deliver both physical safety and emotional safety? Physical safety matters. Man's ability to look after a woman's physical well-being is very important. But I think in Western modernized Western society, what we neglect the most is that it is a man's responsibility to create emotional safety. And so sometimes even being protective is the ability for a man to show that he can regulate himself, for him to actually have good structured body language, to show that he is a well-integrated man. And so that a woman does not have to be afraid that he's going to fly off or that he's also not going to stand up for her in moments when she needs him to. It's also being able to show that I am regulated enough that you can say what you need to, and I won't have a violent reaction as a response. I think we are transitioning a little bit is where we always looked at men and the protector role as physical safety. But we live in a modernized Western society where that's very different now. It is now more so is, is this individual a well-integrated, a psychologically healthy man that he can hold space for my own natural emotional needs without blasting off? Can he communicate appropriately? Can he hold himself well? I think that's the most important thing. And this is also driving in that difference between being protective and the controlling, possessive, aggressive behavior that we begin to see sometimes idolized amongst men that is not healthy. Yeah, that point around emotional regulation in terms of emotional safety is so critical. I have been in relationships with very angry men, particularly just one very angry man, and I was so scared. You never knew when you were going to say the wrong thing, when he was going to fly off the handle, when he was going to scream and shout, or when he was going to get angry. And now to be in such a calm, healthy, safe relationship. It is a beautiful container for me to be able to be myself because it is safe to be myself. 
And in today's episode, we are talking about masculine, feminine. And I hope that anyone listening that doesn't directly relate to that relationship structure can still take value from today's episode. Do you think it's fair to say that when a partner can provide that safety, that you open up the ability for the other person to really experience themselves and the other in intimacy? Yeah, you're holding space for the other to feel safe within themselves, to feel safe, to be with all their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, to be with the deepest dimensions of who they truly are. When we are emotionally regulated, it allows the other partner, right? This is beyond just masculine and feminine dynamics. When we are emotionally regulated and can hold our own shit together, we provide an energetic container for the other person to feel safe to access all dimensions of who they truly are. And that does eventually create layers and levels of intimacy that is very rare for us to access in today's society. And like I said, this is all centered around the word safety. When we talk about the word protector or what that means, it is about providing safety on all levels. And so I feel physically safe. I feel emotionally safe. I feel safe to be in all the dimensions of who I truly am. And from that is where we build really deep intimacy that I think the audience on your podcast is coming to you for. And we're all feeling a little lost because I think we are all having issues with understanding what true safety actually feels like. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that anyone ever asks when they're dating someone, is this person emotionally safe? I just don't think that's a question that people are asking. And if as a result of this podcast, that that is something maybe they could start asking, then I think we've already delivered value for today's episode. What I would love to do is now we understand what is more of the healthy protector. So the emotional regulation, the emotional safety, the physical safety also to some extent. I'd love it if we could switch the table and look at the things that people might call protection, but actually the more alpha male, the more toxic male. So things like possession, control, and aggression. Where do you want to start with this? Is it that the alpha male or the toxic masculine sees the feminine as an item for them to possess? Is that a fair starting point or would you start somewhere different? I would start exactly there. So when we talk about possessing or controlling behavior, think about that partner that was always checking up on you, right? Where any type of constructive criticism also meant an extreme defensive reaction, right? Where a guy looked at you and they weren't confident enough in themselves in the relationship where they would launch after the other guy or become violently protective or them to blame the women themselves for allowing that attention in. This is all a lack of respect for the other individual. Now, of course, there does need to be mutual respect between partners and there does need to be mutual boundaries, but it's when the person is saying, I am protecting you from this layer of, I'm just actually defending my own insecurities. I love that. I'm actually just defending myself from my own insecurities. Let's talk about that in terms of males fighting males, because I have this story. I used to live in Dubai. I was really young. I was like 23 and I was like dating this rugby guy. And some guy started talking to me at the bar that wasn't this guy. I mean, we were very loosely dating as well. It was not like anything serious. I think we'd literally just kissed like twice. And this guy basically ended up punching this guy at the bar for talking to me. And I remember at the age of 23, I was like exhilarated by this. I was like, oh my fucking God, that guy just like fucking hit that guy for me. Like, oh yeah. 
now I'm like, oh my God, that is such emotionally unhealthy behavior. That is such toxic behavior. That is like true toxic masculinity. What is going on when these things escalate into physical fighting? Because it's definitely not safe protection, right? The man doesn't feel safe within himself. Even I'm sorry, like this is where it's going to go, right? So when I brought it up in the beginning, I said something around men who are providing this physical safety, but they do so at the expense of always putting the women in dangerous situations. And that's a great example of, of what that is, okay? Look, there is a real warrior mentality that exists within men that is very important to be integrated and expressed. We do not want to suppress that. If we do, it actually leads to a lot of depression amongst men, okay? But it is ability to channel that healthily and beating the shit out of some guy at a bar, right? Because he looked at a girl that you're dating a certain way. That is not the healthy way to channel that. That is a man who is not in control of himself. That is a man who is not regulated. Now, if we came from a home of extreme dysregulation or emotional numbness, right? Initially, an event like that can get us going. It can make us feel excited, okay? But it's just activating parts of us that need to actually be healed and integrated appropriately. That is a little bit of savagery. Even in war, there's certain rules and courage and respect that goes on. There is a brutality to the story that you just said that 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 is not an emotionally or psychologically healthy way of handling any situation. Yeah, totally. And looking back, it's so clear that that wasn't emotionally healthy, but it's interesting how at the time when I wasn't emotionally healthy, I was like excited by it or I was like, oh yeah, someone is like finally standing up for me, et cetera, et cetera. So for the women that are attracted to the bad boy. Cause I can't even say that with a straight face because now the thought of being attracted to the bad boy, I'm like, what the? Cause the bad boy is not really a bad boy. The bad boy is just a very wounded boy. In fact, is that fair to say that the bad boy is actually just a wounded boy? Do you think that's fair? Yeah, like a hundred percent. And this comes from my own experience and, and a lot of the guys I grew up with who are, who are deep at the core are good people. But this whole thing of, let me show you how bad I am. Let me show you how strong I am. The need, it's overcompensating. And it's overcompensating for some type of deep emotional wounds, some type of deep internalized feeling of unsafety. I don't see a lot of healthy men who are in really strong positions of leadership who are running around as the bad boy. I think that says something. Interesting. I want to dig into this piece around overcompensating because I think for people to understand that a little more would be incredibly interesting. What are they overcompensating against? Particularly in the female space, we talk about these wounds of I'm not enough or I'm too much or I'm not worthy or I'm not lovable. Do you think those wounds translate into the masculine space too? Or do you see in your practice there being slightly different variations of the core wounds. Yeah. And you know what? In today's society, I'm not here to play comparison game or whatever, but like, I would not be shocked if it's even more prevalent in men. These wounds around not feeling worthy enough, not feeling safe, not feeling secure in who I am, right? Because men have a more difficult time relating and expressing vulnerabilities with other men. So they're oftentimes suppressing a lot more things. They're suppressing these wounds until these wounds create huge defense mechanisms, huge walls that become like unleashed, so to speak. 
So yes, they are overcompensating for the same exact wounds that much of your audience is listening to this podcast for. There's just a different way that they are interacting with those wounds, so to speak. Interesting. And you've spoken about defense mechanisms. I'm guessing that one of those is suppression. We've spoken about that on our previous podcast around the alpha male. Do you think that the angry man, the angry protector is potentially suppressing, 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 and then it becomes so much to handle that it explodes? Or do you think it's that they have such poor emotional regulation that they just fly off the handle instantly? Or do you think it really can be different per person? Some people are more likely to suppress. Some people are more likely to defend outwards instantly. It's just both. It's both. If we grew up in homes where dad wasn't regulated, we don't know how to be regulated. If mom or dad didn't deal with their anger correctly, we don't know how to channel our anger, right? If mom and dad just suppressed everything, we suppress everything, and then it just belts out of us. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to contain it. Our systems don't even know how to contain it. It all just comes down to having the tools and resources to know how to deal with these emotions and these charges appropriately. I want to dig into this further because I grew up in a pretty suppressed family. I talk about it all the time. Just for anyone that isn't aware, I had a very emotionally suppressed father because he is on the autism spectrum. And I had a very frustrated mother as a result of that who would be very vocal. So I kind of learned a lot of emotional suppression from one parent and a lot of expression from the other. And they're both beautiful humans and I wouldn't change them for the world just if they're listening to this. But I do think it's interesting to see that out of their two children... I have a chronic pain disorder, which the deeper you get into it, you understand that it's just stored emotional energy that has been stored downwards. And my brother has really bad psoriasis, which in the functional medicine world is the same thing. It's like a great deal of emotional suppression and then it's coming out through the skin. Do you see a connection, men, women, wherever it is across the spectrum of emotional suppression showing up in physical health conditions. I know you do a lot of work in the autoimmune space as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like I've noticed with my female clients who are more likely to have endometriosis, there usually is higher propensities of early childhood trauma there. It's like this. Energy has to move. Like emotions are energy and energy has to move. And if that energy stays stuck, right, it can become physical matter where physical matter is not supposed to be. So we talk about cysts, stones, tumors. There's an adverse childhood experience study that show that people with more childhood trauma had higher incidences of chronic illness later on. And I think for men, it is a little bit more likely to delve into areas around mental illness and illness such as depression, bipolar disorder, things of that nature, right? So yes, a lot of this can be hammered down into childhood trauma. I think it's interesting that you say that potentially the men have more propensity for it to go towards mental illness. Because I do think if you look at women, we talk very openly around our gut problems or like a lot of women have endometriosis and then there's acne and it feels like it shows up a lot in the physical body for the female. Not to say that men don't have those things. Of course, there's men with acne and men with psoriasis and men with eczema and all of those things. But that is really interesting how it potentially shows up differently. And I also read this study, and there's a lot of these studies coming out about the connections between breast cancer and repressed anger. And this is like a pub 
med study. This is like clinical medical research for anyone that is like very much within these peer-reviewed medical studies stage of their life. These studies are there that this focus of emotional suppression is really starting to come out. I guess my question for you is, what does healthy emotional suppression look like? That might seem a very obvious question to some people, but I think the truth is most of us out here either suppressing or exploding. What does the mid-ground look like? I use this language around contain the charge, okay? So suppressing is when we subconsciously just shut it down. We don't even allow ourselves to feel it, right? Exploding is where the emotion takes us over, right? Can you become conscious with the emotion itself? Meaning that, oh my God, I'm really angry. I'm really pissed right now. This anger wants to unload on my partner. Let me breathe through this. Let me see what the right response is. You know what? This anger, it's way too intense for what my partner just did, but it's bringing me back to when mom or dad felt like they were criticizing me over things I should have been criticized for. This is an old emotion. Hmm. Okay. I'm starting to see it settle down now. I'm starting to feel it leave my feet, but my partner still did something I'm upset for. Instead of unleashing a tirade of rage on her that she's not deserving in this moment, let me communicate. Hey, what you did was triggering for me, but I also don't feel like I deserve it. Boom. Healthy communication, right? That's actually getting to the core source of what's going on rather than projecting an old wound onto the other person that's not theirs to hold. I love that. And before I get into the next part of this, I want to ask you, do you think it's fair, this statement around if it's hysteric, it's historic? Could you just dig into that a little bit more about how we can store these experiences and feel them in our body so many years later? Yeah, it's not black and white, but more than likely, yes. And then we can even go into the ancestral intergenerational trauma aspect too, where something is really huge and really violent, like it's bringing up something that's a a wound and pain that's been carried and passed on to us over and over and over again. Yeah. So when we feel something of an insane intensity where the situation does not warrant that type of reaction, it's from before. And we need to be able to sit with that charge until it begins to dissolve and we get more clarity. I'm going to tell you a story and I'd love your thoughts on it. So this happened like two days ago. Now my partner loves to play FIFA. It's the only negative trait about my partner is that he likes to play FIFA. And I'm like, do you know what? If that is the worst thing about you, play the fucking football game. That is fine. So I'm lying in bed and it's like 9, 30, 10. I'm trying to go to bed really early and I can hear through the door the FIFA game. You know that football noise, the crowd noise in the back of a football game or a FIFA? That gives me the most visceral reaction in my body. And so I was lying in bed and I could feel it in my stomach and I wanted to cry and I wanted to go and fuck him up. I wanted to be like, turn down the fucking TV. Like I'm trying to sleep, but I've gone through this in therapy. Like the memories that maybe I don't hold consciously, but how my father would have hours and hours and hours of sports playing in my childhood, in the living room, in the car. That background noise brings something to life in me that takes me back to when I was a child. Now, it's been a journey for me to learn like, okay, well, how somatically 
Did I feel in those moments? Did I feel rejected because my father was watching the sport? Did I feel overstimulated by the constant noise? I don't have an answer to that yet. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm sure that some people's boyfriends or girlfriends will do something really small and they equally want to like fly off the handle or they want to get angry or they just start crying. What are your thoughts on that situation? It's a fragmented inner child coming up. It's that fragmented little girl that felt very scared and helpless because dad wasn't paying attention to me and meeting me the way I needed to. And so there isn't anything wrong or bad about this, right? A little kid knows two things in those moments, fight or run away, okay? And so the nervous system will still feel that response. That's why you'd be like, I want to beat the shit out of him or I want to cry and lose my mind. Like it's an unprocessed, unreleased fight or flight response, right? When I have those moments with clients or even in my own life, like I'll close my eyes and I'll feel, this sounds harsh, but sometimes it's that little kid being able to hit dad. And being like, pay attention, pay attention. This isn't good for me. I don't need this, right? You can even feel yourself hitting the pillow and then bringing yourself into regulation, right? Or even imagining yourself patting your feet and running away in those moments. Like maybe as a kid, there are some certain situations where you were frozen and you needed to run and you'll feel those triggers over something slight, right? It could be a microwave thing going off or whatever because mom and dad want to cook or the, the sports noise, like all those things are just always signs of those suppressed emotions of you're not hearing me, you're not seeing me. And they might initially need to be released in a flight or flight mechanism now as adults, not at our partner, but in our own safe container. And then we can be with the deep feeling of loneliness or abandonment or betrayal that's underneath it. But that story makes a lot of sense to me. And it's something that I've encountered quite a bit in my own life. Yeah. And I think it's just important that we share these stories so other people listening know that they're not alone. We have so many people on the podcast who are anxiously attached and they'll just lose the plot when the guy that they've been on two dates with doesn't text them back. And then two days later, they come back to themselves and they're like, oh, wow, like that wasn't me. And that is so embarrassing the way that I acted. It's not just the emotional reactions sometimes that we have to handle and the repercussions. Then we have to deal with the shame from the emotional reaction. What do you have to say to them around shame? But do you understand how we can get stuck in shame spirals through this thing? Like what your social media posts and your podcasts do is they de-shame this adaptive response, okay? Now the whole thing is not to continue in it endlessly without working on it, right? And it's like, it's just who I am. Like, no, but we have to understand that it's something internally, physiologically that needs to play itself out and it needs a safe space to do so. It is a fragmented part of the psyche that from childhood that is stuck in deep feelings of betrayal, abandonment. And so it needs to be seen, but also it needs to be experienced in a way that brings integration. That's not shaming it. That's not saying, oh, I'm so bad. Here it is. Like, no, you make sense for being in this response. But now it's your journey as an adult to go within and show these younger parts of us that this isn't what's happening anymore, that we are in control, that you know what? We were helpless and powerless to mom and dad growing up, but we're not helpless and powerless to this partner or this person that we've been on a few dates with, right? So it's, it's weird. It's this balance of being able to witness and observe us in that response of, oh my God, they don't text back. Are they going to leave? Right. And I trust me, I get it. I really do. 
And then to also have compassion for us while we're in that, to understand where it's coming from, to understand that maybe we did lose control and we acted on that response because we just wanted to be soothed just a little bit in this moment and we were looking at the wrong person to do so. And that's okay because you know what? We make fucking mistakes. No one is fucking perfect. But this whole journey, especially when healing from an anxious attachment style, it is about being that loving, understanding parent to you in those moments you didn't have. That is the only way out of this. I'm so sorry. I wish it was easier. I really do. It's not fair. But it's to be that loving parent. And that loving parent is not going to shame that child for being in a response to trauma that was outside of their control. They are going to have compassion. They're going to hold space and they're going to give that child their power back. Yeah. I wish it was easier as well. But for everyone listening, it does get easier over time. And I think also when you start to learn about things like the amygdala hijack, which actually I'm recording with Sarah Murphy on this afternoon. So hopefully everyone listening to this will be able to dig into that episode soon. You start to understand that you are going into a panic stress response. It's what's going on in your brain. It's what's going on in your body. And there are things that you can do alongside the loving compassion that Zach has just spoken about. Now, tying it back to the meat of the episode, I think we've really interestingly dug into the delineation between the healthy protector, the emotional safety, the emotional regulation, the healthy conflict versus the unhealthy protection, the aggression, the control, the possession, the man saying, don't wear that, don't look at him, who are you texting, that is tied to their own insecurities. We've also spoken about the angry man, which Travis was not. The way that he handled that, like you said, was very reasonable, very safe, like just a very nice, healthy, safe, protective moment. Now I want to go to the whole other end of the spectrum as we come to wrap up today's episode. We've spoken about the angry man. We've spoken about the healthy man. I want to talk about the disconnected man. Now, the reason that I want to talk about that is because we get questions all the time about we broke up, we broke up, I'm hurting so much, I'm crying, I'm feeling it. And this guy has just moved the fuck on and has another girlfriend two weeks later. He doesn't feel sad. He's fully emotionally disconnected. He talks to me like a robot. What is going on with that type of disconnection? Is that emotional suppression too? What is going on there? Yeah, that's, that's what we call that a psychologically fragmented or fractured individual. They have shut down emotionally as a means to survive, but they also can't be with themselves, right? Which is why you see them just jump into another partner. They are literally shutting down the part of themselves that carries those emotional energies. And so they're always very fractured. They're actually, they always have to wear a mask to some extent. And so you can feel this, like, how could they do this? How are they like this? Like they're operating from a very different standpoint psychologically that honestly is not healthy. That's literally what's going on is that they likely had to fracture from their own emotions to survive and they've never come back and reconnected to that part of them. So they don't even know how to be present with that feeling of loss or grief or letting someone down. They have to just run from it. And do you think it's fair to say that because women perhaps are better at sitting in those uncomfortable emotions and processing them, they move through heartbreak quicker, whereas there's this like kind of stereotype that the guy doesn't process it. He just goes out there. He starts fucking more women, dating more women. And then three years later, not talking from experience here, they come back and they're like, 
hey, hold on a minute, they finally then start to process it. Do you think that that's like too big a generalization or is it really just specific for each individual person as to whether they can suppress it forever? Yeah, I think it's too big of a generalization. And here's why. I think toxicity will run in men and women differently. I've seen women who can be incredibly narcissistic. I've seen men who can be incredibly narcissistic. It's the societal structures in place. And honestly, you know, men are responsible for that, that are in place that might make it more difficult for men to move through the breakup process appropriately. Like when we're actually going through a deep breakup, like there is a withdrawal stage in terms of we're not getting the natural release of dopamine and opioids. Like we'll feel like we so desperately want this person. All our shame will come up. Rage needs to come up. There's a whole process that needs to go on. Are men more likely to try and evade that process by jumping to another partner? Yeah, maybe. I think it's more likely. And that's on us. But that's honestly what is going on is that I think women feel safer to go through that process. There's not this overarching narrative that you guys have hanging over your head like you're weak, you're cowardly for allowing that through. If men allow that through, we are susceptible to to being shamed by fellow men. And so that's on us then to create those safe containers. But I do believe that that is why women are more able to navigate that process and come back into a healthy integration and land into healthier partners while men might have some more difficulty with that. Yeah, you're right. I love these episodes where we can just basically get the insight into the man's psyche because so often we don't get that on this podcast. So I guess my final question as we come to wrap up is if a man is angry, if a man is in his aggressive, toxic, alpha male role rather than the emotional safety, the emotional processing, whilst also being able to be strong and a healthy leader and all of those things. Where do you think that the first stages of their healing lies? Where should these men be going to start their journey? As weird as it sounds, like a lot of these dudes are great guys who are still acting out that angry, aggressive role. They are stuck in a prolonged fight response from nervous system dysregulation that's likely from childhood. Usually with men like this, like I'm guiding them back into this concept of, can you feel safe inside? And for most of those men, they don't have that somatic experience of internalized safety. Like if dad was an aggressive, abusive person, they don't know how to feel safe. So we do a lot of exercises around what does safety look like inside? That's where men have to go to. How do I begin to feel safe just here? Because what they're doing is they're beating the shit out of everyone around them because they don't feel safe within themselves. So they have to force themselves upon their environment to create that. And it doesn't work long term for them. It's all about, can I learn to feel safe within and then watch their psyche and nervous system will, will begin to regulate and these violent outbursts won't happen as much. I love that point around they don't feel safe within. And do you think it's also fair to say that women who are really attracted to that bad boy, that protector, they equally don't feel safe within, which is why they are basically outsourcing their safety to someone who acts all big and protective. But ultimately the message for them is the same. Like that is not true safety. And you're outsourcing that because you aren't developing or haven't yet developed that safe connection to self, which in turn leads to an attraction to the healthy, safe, masculine. So it all comes back to the concept of which we initially talked about of overcompensation. If I feel that deeply unsafe, 
I need such a big, visceral, external display that I'm safe. So if I have a partner that beats the shit out of everyone around me, now I know I'm safe, right? Even though that's not even a real, tangible, realized form of safety, it, it'll go away very quickly. But that's that's actually what is going on. Yeah, so if you are attracted to the bad boy or whatever, oftentimes it is really due to our own deep feeling of not being worthy of peace, of not being worthy of stability, of not even knowing how to be in that because it hasn't been modeled or to our nervous system yet. And all we know is chaos and destruction and the bad boy or whatever you want to call that archetype, right? They get us, they get it going. They get excited. They release the dopamine in a way that's actually not healthy, but it's all we know. It's all we know how to get the chemicals that our brain is so desperately seeking in those moments. Wow. So interesting. And I think that's what we're doing here at Open House is helping people realize how much deeper this goes than you could ever, ever think. We love combining that biology with the psychology, with the neuroscience, with the spirituality, which is exactly what you do. So I think that's the perfect place to wrap up today. And I think that, do you have any final words for Travis Kelsey? Yeah, I love what you're doing. Huge fan. I love the relationship with Taylor Swift. I have argued with this with my partner quite a bit. I'm like, this is not a PR stunt. Like, fuck off of that. This is real love. I'm going to believe in it. Like I, I love, if you ever watch the Kel- the documentary and the Kelsey's, I love what they're about. I think they're a great example of healthy masculinity and more so like, I just love his brother, Jason as well. Yeah. I'm a fan. So if yeah, this somehow gets to you, thumbs up from this guy. Okay. Well, bucket list for next year, we can get Travis Kelsey and maybe his brother on the podcast. Cause I know that they're big in the podcasting world. So we'll put that out there as a goal for next year. They think that that's not the wildest, crazy, most out there possibilities. Not sure I'm on the same page of you about the PR, non-PR relationship. I'm just, I know, but you know, no judgment. Let's just see what happens. Okay. Yeah. My partner and I really talked about this last week. She was like, it's a PR stunt. And so, okay. I mean, this the best way, but like, I think what we're seeing happen is like on a global level, we are seeing what ha- what, what plays out in almost every high school. Okay. Which is like, there's a girl who may not be like the quintessential example of the prettiest or like most like whatever girl, but she's incredibly talented. She's just incredibly like, she's just, she radiates something amazing off of her, right? But she might not necessarily be the stereotypical, really popular girl. And then you have the guy who's kind of the Mr. Big popular football guy, right? Who all the girls love. And he's, he's, he's kind of considered a dumb jock. No one else explores the dimensions of who he is. And then that football player and then that girl in high school who aren't supposed to link up get together. And it makes sense to me. It always happens in every 17, 18 year old environment throughout time. I don't know why, like we assume it's a, a it's a, it's a publicity stunt. I think both of them are very famous on their own terms. But it makes sense. I think they complement each other very well, right? And yeah, like there's there's more to Travis than just being a jock. And I think there's more to Taylor that meets the eye as well. And I think if they are together, I really hope it's not a PR stunt. Because if they are together, it's showing the deeper layers to even themselves that they have. I agree. I mean, I'm here as ever. No shame, no judgment. I really try not to judge anyone. Just healthy dose of skepticism to all things Hollywood. But, you know, I, maybe- I know. I know, but this isn't like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. I don't know why they'd be clout chasing through each other. You know what I mean? But I don't think that, actually, 
Kim and Kanye, I think, were like really, really, really in love for like many, many years. Like when they met, she was like no one. I agree with that too. I think Taylor and Travis aren't searching for fame. Not that like Kim and Kanye didn't love each other and all that stuff, whatever. But you know, there's other motives there, I think, for both of them. And I don't think they're PR stuff. But I just, I don't know. I'm going to believe in something right now. You know, <laughs> the world's at war. Everybody hates each other, right? But you know what? I want to believe in Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, that real love can still exist. And maybe if we can all anchor into this, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, look, yeah, I love that for you. I actually just don't care enough about either of them to really have an opinion. We'll jump back on in six months when they're either broken up or engaged and we'll take it from there. <laughs> but yeah, so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. If everyone hasn't already listened to the other episodes with Zach, I would definitely head back into the back catalogue. They are super interesting. We go to some places that we've never gone on the podcast. So thank you, Zach. Look forward to having you back sometime soon and we will take it from there. Thanks for having me on. Bye.